Welcome to episode two of Mission Transition, powering BC's clean energy economy. We're a Sierra Club BC podcast miniseries about the transition to the next economy. In this episode, we examine how making changes to the way we build the places that we live, work, shop and play can pay off in the new economy. Hi, I'm Susan Elrington, along with Caitlin Vernon from Sierra Club BC. Hello, Caitlin. Hello. Oh, Caitlin, I'm so excited about this topic. <laughs> I know you are. Tell us more. <laughs> well, it's because I get to talk about the Lego house. Right. So what is this Lego house that you keep telling me about? <laughs> Okay, so the Lego house is being built in Souk. That's on southern Vancouver Island. And it's been built by Arno Kanonen. And he's a naval architect, spent his life in the Arctic working on icebreakers. And so he saw the melting ice firsthand up there. And he's committed to doing whatever he can to fight climate change. He's building a new house, retired now, and he wanted it to be a net zero house. And that means the house will produce as much energy as it uses. And in fact, in his case, it's going to produce more because he's also going to power his electric cars. Wow. So he looked around, did a lot of research on how best to do it. Don't forget he's an architect, engineer, and he knows a lot about this stuff. And he ended up deciding to use fiber blocks. Okay, so what are these fiber blocks? Well, they look like Lego blocks, hence the Lego block house. <laughs> <laughs> They're made of hemp and lime packed around this kind of six-pronged frame. Now, hemp is the hemp herd, which until now was considered waste product. And Arno says building with them is really easy. Everybody knows how to put together Legos. So building a house out of Lego blocks is actually a no-brainer. Okay, so that's a main attraction, that they're easy to use. Well, no, actually, the primary value is that they insulate like crazy. And Arno says they also have other great properties. It beat all the other construction alternatives with a big margin. And one of them is that, indeed, the insulation value is so high that even National Research Council cannot measure our value for it. So, so the insulation value is very high. The other thing is that it actually breathes humidity through, which means that you don't need to wrap the house into plastic black. So it's totally mold-free and rodent-free. This is sounding almost too good to be true. Well, that's what we thought when we first started comparing this against the other or, or current construction standard. And not only that, but it's also um, fireproof. It doesn't actually burn that uh, hemp-lime mix. In a burning test, you can have a less than an inch thick sample and put the torch on one side and your hand on the other side and you don't feel it in your hand. Sounds amazing, but is this expensive? Well, they, they are about the same as traditional building materials. In some cases, a little tiny little bit more expensive and a tiny bit less expensive. But on balance, he's not going to spend that much more than he would for, for any other house to build this house. Okay, so then why aren't these Lego blocks being used more extensively? Well, they're a new product, and they could be. You know, Arno's is the first house in Canada being built with these. Now, I talked to Michael de Champlain. He's with the company that produces those blocks, and that's called Just Biofire. I'm not, I'm not sure that we'll ever be close to demand. We're, we're getting a surprising amount of people that are really excited about doing something positive for the environment, especially uh, in the built environment. 
Now, Caitlin Michael says they're ramping up their one production facility in Calgary, and they are looking to build more. And, of course, Caitlin, that means more jobs in the clean economy. And would BC benefit from those jobs? Well, maybe if they built a plant here. But JB Fiber is based in Alberta. They make the blocks in Calgary. And, you know, you might be surprised to learn that they've had big support from, well, both the federal government, but really the provincial government over the past three years to get us to this point. And that's not what we think of when we think of Alberta and the tar sands. But it's the kind of innovation that our provincial government needs to get going on. And, you know, Caitlin, it wasn't just financial support either. And I think that's an important point when we talk about the clean energy economy. It's not about throwing money at new technologies. Uh, Michael says the Alberta government can see the spin-off benefits. They are very uh, interested in, in promoting the, the hemp uh, for agriculture in, in Alberta. And, and we come along and say, oh, we'll just take that ma- waste material off your hands. And, oh, by the way, uh, you know, now your farmers can make more than canola. So how about that? You know, so everybody's uh, getting pretty, uh, pretty excited there. So hemp is a material that's been used as fiber for thousands of years, maybe less so recently, and not everyone would have looked to it as a building material. Yeah, I know. And and it's that kind of out-of-the-box thinking that, that's fueling this move to clean energy. But, you know, Kayla, once you start thinking differently about the materials that we use, you know, Michael says the benefits can be amazing. Yeah, we're growing a building on a farm, so how cool is that? And it can be as simple as somebody taking and making a block by hand or automation. It, it's, it scales incredibly, and uh, you could actually do a combination of both. So somebody in Africa, for example, could grow uh, the hemp plant, have food, have housing, have clothing, uh, all of those things out of one plant. So the, and, and at the same time, this plant is aggressively... Uh, uh, sequestering CO2 and that's really a huge story that's a huge part of this this house here for example that we're looking at right now will take 25 tons of CO2 out of the uh, out of the atmosphere so Caitlin you know we compare those kinds of benefits to what we get when we extract fossil fuels and you know destroy (laughs) the climate and so on there's just simply no comparison so it's clearly a pretty exciting innovation. Do you think, um, or do they think, that these blocks could be used in commercial buildings? Oh, sure. In fact, they're already um, going to be building a five-story self-storage facility in Kelowna. And, you know, we're going to talk more about clean energy and commercial buildings in a moment. Um, you know, Michael is going to benefit in the next economy from developing this kind of product. But, you know, money isn't really what fuels his passion about that. And this came up, Caitlin, with so many people that I talked about. It's not just about making money. I'm going to leave you on the the Lego house story with this final thought about why Michael's so enthusiastic about these Lego blocks. We're too long in the tooth waiting for things to happen. We've got to get on it and make it move right now because, um, you know, I mean, if you spoke with, with Arno earlier, he's been in the coldest places of, of, on the face of the earth and he's seen the ice caps shrink by 40%. So uh, if that isn't a wake-up call, I don't know what is. So.
You're listening to Mission Transition from Sierra Club BC. I'm Susan Elrington along with Caitlin Vernon and we're talking about buildings. Now, using new materials isn't the only innovation when it comes to buildings. You, you know, you may hear a lot of talk these days about passive houses. I do hear about that. So tell us more. What's a passive house? Um, it's a house that's built to guidelines which are made to construct as energy efficient a building as possible. Now, passive houses can reduce energy usage by about 90%. Um, the name's a bit of a misnomer because passive houses can mean apartment buildings too. Canada's largest passive house uh, is being built in Vancouver. It is going to be 85 units and uh, will also be uh, a market rental. That's Karen Tamwu. She lives in Vancouver and she works with the Pembina Institute studying the relationship between buildings and energy. And she says, you know, Caitlin, BC isn't doing badly when it comes to the building trade and saving energy. I think there's a couple of key tools that have been developed in, in BC and, and also in the city of Vancouver that could be models for uh, the rest of, of Canada. So one is that the city of Vancouver was the first jurisdiction in North America to pass the Zero Emissions Building Plan, which is uh, the first uh, action plan on how we're, how we're actually going to achieve zero emissions or zero carbon buildings in, in the city of Vancouver. They've had the vision of zero emissions buildings, but they now have a plan and a map of how we're going to achieve it over the next seven years, really. So any new buildings built in the city of Vancouver will be non-emitting buildings, which is fantastic. And the other piece of policy that's been put in place in BC is basically uh, a stepped approach to moving towards higher standards of energy efficiency in our building code. It's called the BC uh, Energy Step Code. What we need to see is for this to move from a uh, voluntary um, move from local governments to becoming a regulated um, code for all of BC buildings. So we need to adopt a better regulated code for all BC buildings. What else could government be doing to move this transition along? Well, Karen would like to see all levels of government come up with a comprehensive plan, just everybody get together and figure out what we're doing to make this transition to clean energy in all of our buildings. But she says in order to do that, we're missing some key information. We need to understand how much energy our buildings and homes are using, because right now we're not tracking that. And we can't manage what we don't measure. So how would measuring that make a difference? Well, it's a concept of, of energy labeling. And, you know, we do it on our fridge. <laughs> we just should be doing it on our houses. Uh, we spoke to Peter Sundberg at City Green. Now, that's an organization that helps folks figure out how to retrofit their homes for energy efficiency. And he says energy labeling isn't just for making policy. The importance of energy labeling, particularly for at the time of sale, if uh, any given home buyers looking for a home and they're looking at two very similar homes and the way they look in their neighborhood and the style of home they're looking for. One of those homes uh, might be vastly more energy efficient than the other, but they don't have that information for them, you know, at their fingertips when they're making a decision. Currently people think, well, if I'm going to sell my home, you know, it's, it's the kitchen reno, it's the bathroom reno, it's the new coat of paint and maybe some landscaping is what you do to sell your home. What we want is homeowners now thinking about this when they're thinking about improving their home, they're retrofitting it to start thinking about how they can integrate energy efficiency, both for themselves now to, to enjoy, but then for when five years or whenever they're going to sell their home to be able to recoup that investment. And I think that's going to radically transform how people start thinking about energy efficiency if it's visible. So as far as the, the greatest thing government could probably do would probably be to move forward mandated energy labeling 
and have this. And this is what's happening in many other places in the world. So this is not new. Um, we're sort of behind, and we could be um, in front and leading, and this could also be another way to, to really stimulate the green energy economy in British Columbia is by introducing um, mandatory home energy labeling. Caitlin Peter says the federal government is working on this now, but he wants to see it happen a lot faster. So why does he think that this would stimulate the green economy? Well, because once you have a number, you want to do better. So if your neighbor's number for their house is, let's say, you know, they've got a rating of 90 out of 100 or something and yours is 50 out of 100, all of a sudden you're going to be likely to think, huh, if I want the resale value on my home to go up, maybe I need to invest in that. Or even just, huh, they're saving a lot more money than I am on, on, on our houses. And once you're aware of that, you're more likely to invest in, in retrofitting. So some people wonder, you know, is it better to retrofit your building or is it better to build a newer building? What does Peter say about that? Well, retrofitting in some cases might not achieve the same energy efficiency as a brand new building built to brand new standards, for example, like Arno's Lego house. But um, it's going to come pretty darn close. And it's important for two reasons. One is... Once again, we're talking about reusing materials, not just destroying something and putting a whole bunch of drywall and bricks and mm -hmm. other pieces into landfills. We're, we're using the materials that are already standing. But the second one is that the jobs are kept in BC when it comes to the retrofitting industry. Uh, many people pointed out to me, retrofitting has to be done in BC because you're not going to ship your house overseas for other workers who work to different standards and for different pay to do it at a cheaper rate. It has to be done in BC. It's going to create jobs in BC. So uh, at Sierra Club BC, we often work in partnership with a number of unions, and I, I hear all the time how many jobs can be created through retrofitting. So it's a job creator, and it's also, in many cases, clearly more environmentally sustainable to, to retrofit than to build something new. So what's government doing to encourage more retrofitting? Well, you know, one of the things I heard, there's a number of different things you can do to retrofit your home. There are different incentives for it. There's some incentives for solar panels. There are some for changing out your windows. There are some for installing heat pumps. But there. it's a bit overwhelming to figure it out. Oh, maybe? my <laughs> Lord. <laughs> it depends on where you live, what kind of house you have, what your income is, all sorts of things. Right. It can be overwhelming, and a lot of people just start to look at it and think, I can't figure that out. Plus the fact that I have to figure out what it means to say this kilowatt hour versus that kilowatt hour and so on and so forth and, and how much things cost. So... Um, the provincial government has actually funded a solution to this. And Peter says City Green is now, with funding from the provincial government, offering an energy coaching service. Essentially what it is, it's designed to be a consumer resource, um, completely market neutral. They're not going to recommend any one given contractor or any given product. Um, but it's there for people to find information about the incentives that are available by their community, by the product they might be interested in. And there's also friendly and helpful client services staff where they can call so they can pick up the phone and ask them questions. Um, and these might be questions they might not be able to ask a given contractor about which type of heating system is right for my home. When they only sell one type of heating system, they might not, you know, get a full breadth answer on all the types of heating systems that may be available to them. So this is a fantastic consumer resource that's available for free, um, supported by the provincial government. So this is an amazing thing for all those folks who are you know, overworked and don't have the time to go through this to figure out what the best thing to do. And Caitlin, we have the link to that Energy Coach website on our podcast page. I should mention here, it's not just a website, though. There's, you can actually phone people, real people. We'll answer the phone and answer questions, too. <laughs> That's great. 
So I guess whether we're talking about, you know, retrofitting our homes or maybe installing solar energy or solar hot water heaters or something like this in the home, are there questions around, you know, there's lots of new technology that's being developed. There's lots of new products that are for sale, different ways of conserving energy or generating energy. How do we know that all of these are safe? Well, and anybody who's renovated a home knows that you have to constantly get permits and permission and inspections and so on and so forth by City Hall to say that you're doing it right. And the question here, Caitlin, becomes a, a matter of speed. These technologies are coming online Fast. So almost daily. Almost daily you can read in, in the paper of a new technology that's being used. And, I, you know, I went down to Victoria City Hall. I talked to Jonathan Tinney at the city of Victoria. He's in the uh, Sustainable Planning and Development Office about how they're keeping up with that. We're looking at ways to future-proof our own policy. Um, so being, you know, taking flexibility uh, as a, a, a starting point rather than sort of saying what we don't want, let's talk about what we do want, um, or let's, let's figure out what's the, what's the minimum bar uh, of the things that we really don't want here and everything else let's just let go. Um, and so that's really kind of a, a process. That said, we're government. Um, we're never going to be the leaders uh, of these sort of movements, and in some cases we shouldn't be because we do have to, you know, we have to ask the hard questions about public safety and, um, you know, scale things up. This, this is cool on one site, but if everybody was doing it, does that have uh, uh, bigger problems, bigger challenges? Um, and so those, are, so those are the questions we have, we have to ask. Sometimes it, sometimes it makes us a bit of a killjoy, though. And Caitlin, that's where government can come in again. Jonathan and Karen Tamwu both say that government could help municipalities share this knowledge that they're taking in and that they're gaining about safety standards and so on. And that's so that building standards can be updated faster and faster. And this is particularly important for smaller communities who may not have big research departments to be able to to really do the adequate research on these innovative technologies. And that would help make it more accessible to more people. Exactly. More accessible to more people and keep the momentum going. It's really frustrating. And we heard about this when we were in Prince George from people who want to get on with new, exciting ideas. And then they hit a brick wall when they come up against City Hall. Some red tape. Yeah. Exactly. This is really exciting, though. I mean, I mean there's no it doubt totally about is. Yeah. Things are changing fast. Fast. And you can find out more in this week's bonus episode of my full talk with Arno and Michael. You can also find pictures and video at sierraclub.bc.ca slash podcast. Caitlin, it's time for this episode's Mythbuster. And this is where we examine popular opinions about whether clean energy and whether or not they're true. And, you know, we've talked about retrofitting and installing solar panels, and that's the first step towards energy self-sufficient for many people, um, but not for everyone. Solar is great, but BC is too rainy and it's not sunny enough for it to work here. Well, Greg Purin installs solar panels for folks around the Prince George area, and here's what he had to say about that. I've heard that too. And I totally disagree with it. Germany has the most solar installed per capita of any country in the world. We get more sunlight in Prince George than Germany does. If you look at the NASA figures for solar production, Arizona gets more sun than we do. We get almost as much sun as Florida does, believe it or not. The difference is, if you go down to Florida, it's distributed pretty evenly all around the, the year. In here, June 21st, we get 17 and a half hours. We get a huge amount in the summer. So 
in my own system, for example, I have a grid tied system. So I've been selling electricity to BC Hydro since March, and I got a pretty nice credit there sitting with BC Hydro right now. Wow. Myth busted. Caitlin, before we end this episode, I have to bring up one more point about just how green some of these new homes really are. And what's that? You know, we, when we hosted our conversation in Prince George about clean energy solutions and, and the clean energy economy, among many other topics, this point was raised by Jen and Jackie. Uh, I have a friend who, he lives in Comox, but he comes up here to do um, high-end house designs. And he's a really strong environmentalist. And he just said, like, yeah, I design all these houses and sure they, you know, they have super insulation and, you know, triple pane windows and all this stuff, but they are 400,000 square feet or 4,000 square feet, you know? So it seems like all of the new, anecdotally, all of the new housing developments in Prince George are huge. And it doesn't matter if we're heating a huge house, doesn't matter really how we're heating it. Oh yeah, I would really like to see um, a sort of house tax, uh, property taxes that increased exponentially as as you went over 1,500 square feet, yes. And that gets back at the question of, you know, what is more environmentally sustainable? Is it to build a, a large new home or to, to retrofit an existing home and to recycle and reuse existing resources rather than needing to cut down more trees and all of that? So And, and it also gets at one of the other questions we hear often is how are we going to pay for doing all of these environmentally friendly things? And I think the idea of higher taxes on bigger, bigger houses is yeah, not a bad one. Yeah, maybe that could help fund solar panels for low-income families. Exactly. There are all sorts of ways of thinking about this. And it, and it does go back again. And this has been a, a recurring theme for us as we've, as we've gone through this, kind of recognizing that we're living this ever-expanding way of life that has to be finite at some point. And do we really need four and 5,000 square foot houses for a family of three or four people? Yeah, and it was interesting when we brought people from the business community together in Victoria and when we brought people together in Prince George as well, this question came up of how much do we really need and how could we rethink our economy so that it's better from an environmentally perspective and possibly even better from a quality of life perspective as well. Yeah. And in fact, this is something that came up when we talked to Peter Sundberg, too. He said in retrofitting, you know, people keep thinking about it's all about the money you save. But in fact, it's an opportunity to look at your house and say, how can we make our space that we live in more comfortable? Mm-hmm. And, you know, if we don't even live in that room, let's seal it off and you know, not, not heat it, not spend money on resources to do that. And meanwhile, with the technologies that are coming along with heat pumps, you can actually Use zones in your house to make them more comfortable for you. So it's not all about just we have to do without. It's about thinking differently. Comes yeah, up often. which is provides great opportunities, and that's one of the exciting things in this transition. That you know, change can be scary sometimes, but it's also an opportunity to rethink how we do things and and uh, dive into some improvements. Absolutely. And that's it for this episode of Mission Transition. In our next episode, we're going to talk about clean energy jobs. It's all about jobs, jobs, jobs. Meanwhile, you can see pictures and more information about biofiber, the Lego blocks, passive houses and city green, including the link to the Energy Coach page. In our bonus episode this week, I'll have my full conversation with Arno and Michael about the Lego block house. You can see pictures and videos of that house in construction on our website at sierraclub.bc.ca. 
slash podcast. As we've said before, this is a conversation about the transition to a clean energy economy. And you can join that conversation by following us on Facebook and Twitter at Sierra Club BC. Let us know how you're choosing clean energy in your life and more about your concerns and hopes for the next economy. You could win a pair of Sierra Club BC earbud headphones by joining that conversation. Tell us what you're doing to make your house more efficient, more energy efficient, that is. Tag us on Facebook or Twitter at Sierra Club BC, and we'll enter your name in a draw to take place at the end of March. You can subscribe to Mission Transition, powering BC's clean energy economy on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this episode, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It'll really help us out and get more people listening. This podcast series has been made possible by the North Growth Foundation. If you'd like to see Sierra Club BC produce more podcasts, please consider making a donation at sierraclub.bc.ca slash podcast. Thanks to Caitlin Vernon. Thanks, Caitlin. Thank you, Sue. And also thanks to Kat Zimmer for technical assistance. And thank you for listening. (laughs) 